Hello, and welcome to The Outside Story, a podcast on TV, film, and media from an outside perspective. I am your co-host, Jonathan, and with me today is my brother and co-host, Larry. For this month, we've been doing an October Halloween special, and today's episode is on other scary media. So we normally focus on TV shows and film and like short films, um, kind of sort of like visual cinematic style of media. But for this Halloween special, we also wanted to include other sorts of media that we normally don't get to talk about, specifically for the genre of horror. And so we'll start off with um, talking about podcasts. There's a handful of fictional podcasts out there that are based on horror, but the one that I'm most familiar with and the one that I most enjoy is one called The Magnus Archives. And I heard about this, actually, I think it was because of a Facebook ad. For some reason, Facebook knew that I was into horror. (laughs) So they were like, hey, why don't you listen to the Magnus Archives? And I took a listen, and I started from episode one and was very, very pleasantly surprised at the content and the writing and the production level. It was just very, very well done. And it's like, and Larry, you've listened to an episode with me before. And so you can kind of speak into it a little bit too, but I feel like it's creepy, but it's not like scary enough for me to like not be able to sleep afterwards. And so like, I'm able to actually listen to this while like I'm brushing my teeth, like getting ready for bed and I could still be like creeped out and like still be like, Oh my gosh, what? But then afterwards, like it just kind of, I'm just like, okay, time for bed. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like a big, super scary thing. The episode that we watched together, Larry, I think it was called like The Man Upstairs or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of Magnus Archives? I liked it. It had a very, um, like if you cross Twilight Zone and Lovecraft together, it's the kind of vibe mm. you would get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really liked their narrating style because it sounds more like personal accounts of, like, you know, their experiences and what they've gone through. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine, like, the monologues in Hill House, but, mm. like, in a less narrative structure, mm-hmm. in a less cinematic structure, yeah. you know, because this yeah. is more, like, them telling you a story. Like, like you, it's like you sitting down and a friend's telling you something that they've been through. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that's that's what listening to the Magnus Archives feels yeah. like. And, you know, we have plenty of friends who have ghost stories, and so this is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like, and right. it feels like, right. you know? Right, Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's so cool, because it, it literally does feel like that. It feels like you're sitting down with a friend, and they're like, hey, something freaky happened to me the other day. And you're like, okay, what happened? And then they're like, well, here's what happened, you know? And then they, mm-hmm. like, share their story. And I think it's... It's so good because what it does is, is like, even though it's fiction, you know, I feel like it kind of documents this sort of like oral style of storytelling, you know, that we typically don't see as often anymore because our society and culture is so ingrained with like the visual, you know, like Mm -hmm. aspect of stuff that like sometimes we tend to lose our imagination for like oral storytelling. I feel like our, our culture is a very like visual storytelling and then like books and like written storytelling, you know, and there's not a lot of um, circles that still do like oral and verbal storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And I think podcasts like the Magnus archives are kind of like, they're the keeping that sort of 
type of storytelling alive, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, I really like Magnus archives and if you like podcasts and you're into creepy stuff, Magnus archives is definitely one of those to listen to and follow. And they have like a crap ton of episodes. So, and they're only about 20 ish minutes each. And so I sometimes will listen to one while I'm on a walk during the day, not at nighttime. <laughs> like, why would you want to do it during a walk? I'm on a walk during the day, <laughs> okay, not at nighttime. Yes, not at night because okay. it's. Okay. I mean, I used to do walks after work, and I used to listen to it. And so, but that was during summertime when the like when the sun was still out after I got off work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. by now the sun is setting when I get off work, and I don't yeah. want to go for a walk and listen to the Magnus <laughs> archives at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are definitely some stories that stick out more than others, and just check one out, see what you think. If you need an episode recommendation, let me know, and I can give you one that I, I feel like I really, really liked. Next is theater. Which is when Jonathan told me this idea of theater, I just thought it sounded ridiculous. I'm like, <laughs> man, like scary horror in theater? Yeah, right. I don't think that's possible. And then maybe whenever I get a chance, I'll check it out. But Jonathan, you can go ahead and share your experience with The Woman in Black. Yeah. So The Woman in Black is originally a story by a woman named Susan Hill. And I think it's originally a novel. I'm not sure if it was a novel or just a short story, but I think it's a novel. And it's currently a long time running show in London, in the West End, I believe. And so if you're ever in London and you want to, you know, go see something scary, go ahead and get tickets to go see The Woman in Black. I was fortunate enough to see The Woman in Black when it was on tour in the United States. And they came to Seattle, where I'm currently living. And, you know, I saw it from, uh, I think this was, again, a Facebook ad. Facebook knows me. Uh, in, in and out with my horror stuff. Yes. Um, and so they were like, oh, Woman in Black is in Seattle. Don't miss it. And I was like, hold on. Woman in Black? Like, you know, the Daniel Radcliffe Woman in Black? So I clicked on it, and it was like, you know, it was like a theater production. And I was like, oh. And I clicked on, like, a review from, like, a local Seattle theater magazine. And the person who reviewed it was just like raved about it and said it was super scary and super good. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to buy tickets for it. I'm going to go see it. And so I bought two tickets. I didn't really, it's usually easy to, you know, just tag my friends in Seattle to see who would want to go with me. But since it was like a scarier sort of thing, I wasn't sure who I would ask. And so I asked my friend Andrew to come with me. And so... Andrew and I have seen some really, <laughs> we, we once went to a musical and it was really, really bad. <laughs> um, and we like regretted staying the entire time because we were just like during the intermission, we were just like, mm, we don't know if it's going to be good. And so Andrew with me, came with me to see the woman in black. And the first act of woman in black is a little slow. It takes a lot of time to kind of set up what's going on. And it's literally like a, I think a two or three person play. And it's about this guy who is basically trying to retell his story of his experience with the woman in black. And so what he does is he employs an actor to help tell his story to his family. And so the actor is the main character in the play. And he essentially is kind of reliving the memory of the, uh, of the experience of the woman in black. And oh my gosh, like after the intermission, this story 
like just spirals into like into craziness um mm-hmm. and me and andrew we were saying that we were so glad that we stayed because it was just so good and there's just so many different sorts of elements that you can play with in theater that you're not able to play with when it comes to movies and film and cinematics um like you can play with lighting for example and so like there's this one portion of the of the play where literally the it is pitch black <laughs> inside this theater it is pitch black you cannot see anything and the only light source in the entire room is a flashlight from the main character and he's running around the house trying to find where his dog is you know and oh my gosh it was just uh it's just so creepy and so scary. If you ever get a chance to go see The Woman in Black, definitely go see it. I think this is like one of the few like horror theater productions that are out there. It does a really good job. And so I think, you know, if Larry and I ever get a chance, I'm going to make Larry come with me to oh, go see it. Definitely. I mean, if I did that for Hamilton, you know, I'll do this too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're going to fly out all the way to... Uh, to oh. Europe to go see it, but no, no, no. But if it's in town, oh yeah, and we're nearby, oh yeah, we're gonna go. Yep, you know, yep, I'm down for that. Yep, for sure. Yep. Whenever it goes on tour again in the U.S., we're definitely gonna go see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's my experience with horror in theater uh, and live theater. And so, if you have any other examples, uh, we'd love to hear about them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the video games that we have listed? Sure. Yeah. We're both avid gamers, so we have a lot of stories to kind of pick from when it comes to uh, horror storytelling, or horror video games even. And we chose these specific four because they kind of stuck with us a little more. Jonathan, are you familiar with Five Nights at Freddy's at all? You know, I never played them, but I have a really good friend of mine, his name is Kent, who loves Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, And it kind of came out, I think, during the time that I was living in Illinois, um, and I wasn't mm-hmm. playing video games as much anymore when oh, okay. I was living over there. So, no, I don't have that much experience, but I know about it, and I know it's mm-hmm. very popular. Yeah. Uh, essentially, Five Nights at Freddy's is about, uh, you play a security guard who works at this pizza restaurant, and this pizza restaurant has animatronics, these uh, live animatronics that kind of just walk around and such. Yeah, kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. Um, the previous guy who worked there before you kind of leaves hints and advice for you on how to take care of the animatronics, basically. Uh, the thing is, they have to keep the animatronics up at night because if they don't, their gears kind of lock up. So uh, sometimes they'll just wander around. But see, the thing is, though, like these animatronics, they're designed to also look out for any potential child like kidnappers and offenders. Because they work at a, a pizza restaurant that's designed for kids. And so sometimes the animatronics will mistake you as a potential offender. So um, basically, while you're in the security room, you have to make sure that they don't get into your room. But the thing is, you can't just keep your room all locked up the whole night because you're going to run out of power. And if you run out of power, they're just going to kill you. That's the basic gist of the story. But there's a whole underlying like lore that goes with it. Like There's like a kid 
who was involved with an accident with an animatronic. And so there's like an animatronic that doesn't run anymore because he was involved with that accident. They spawned a whole franchise off of it. Yeah. Like this, the dude, Scott, um, Scott, I don't remember his last name, but dude, this guy just making bank. <laughs> he made Five Nights at Freddy's 2 and then 3 and then a 4, a 5, a spinoff, another spinoff with that. And he's got a ton of merchandise with that. And it's really popular. It got really popular with YouTubers, uh, particularly with Mark Plyer. And then it also got popular with a bunch of kids as well. I didn't understand what the appeal was to kids, but then it's no different from like how we were really into like are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps when we were kids it's the same thing right it's the, it's the same phenomenon mm-hmm. but just a different franchise right. and i just wanted to kind of bring a mention to that because it i don't personally play five nights at fridays but i really i like following along the story and watching other people play because i'm really intrigued by um, the kind of world that uh, scott kind of builds and he's even written like two or three novels off of uh, using the five nights at fridays franchise too just because there's so much you can kind of expand on it and pull on it and that's pretty much what he does and so um and i believe he pulled like a final fantasy on this too as in like this was his very last project that he was gonna do because like all his other things that he did before this weren't like banking it they weren't very good Hmm. and so he's like okay this is my last project i'm gonna make if it's good it's good you know it's whatever Hmm. and then it just got really good you know because it's only like a couple bucks online and so you, you can buy it pretty easily cheap and so with that easier barrier to entry and with like a lot of backing with like um a lot of merchandise and a lot of fans like he just managed to stay afloat and that's it's pretty awesome so there's that and then our next one is clock tower clock tower is a horror video game franchise it was released in like maybe the early 90s it's about this girl named I want to say Jennifer Barrows. I think so. Jennifer Barrows or something. But basically, her and her friends, uh, they're they're at the same orphanage. And they get adopted by this lady uh, who lives up in this mansion way up out in the forest, and which has like a clock tower in it. And essentially, when the night happens, uh, when night happens... <laughs> when night comes. When night, occur- when night comes, <laughs> <laughs> the, the lady walks away, the lights go out, and all her friends disappear. And so you play this girl who kind of explores this little mansion by herself. And then you find out, like, her friends are getting killed off one by one by this little kid who carries, like, a pair of giant scissors. Yeah. Um, Creepy. Yeah. yeah. So this was a Super Nintendo game. And I remember when we, when we first played it, Jonathan, we just could not get past the first jump scare. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's hard, or too. Like, it's a hard game for mm-hmm. kids. I mean, yeah, we were kids back then, but it was definitely not designed for kids. Yeah. <laughs> but you're essentially, it's a game where you have to run away from the serial killer. Yeah. And you have to hide. And you try to unravel this mystery. Yeah. And then it spawned, like, maybe three or four games afterwards, mm-hmm. after this one. And it just kind of, uh, number two continues the story. And then uh, the other ones kind of do their own story, but they kind of play along the same kind of features. So it's, it's basically a serial killer that chase, that's chasing you. While you try to unravel the mystery, so. yeah, it it got a little, um, it got a little too like shootery. It felt because like later you get like this bow and arrow and of like, do you remember this? I think yeah, it, in Clock Tower yeah, 3. yeah, in Clock Tower three, you yeah. get like this bow and arrow of like lights and you like you use it to like shoot the bad guy, um, yeah. the serial killer. So it got a little too like <laughs> arcadey, arcadey, fantasy like. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I think it kind of lost its touch. There's actually a spiritual successor to it called Haunting Ground, which I heard was a lot better. That one stays more true to the original roots of Clock Tower, so it's a lot more you just walk around and you run around. And it has more like complex serial killers from what I heard. But yeah, Clock Tower is like one of our favorites. Very close to me in terms of Fatal. Like when I compare like horror media franchises, like Fatal Frame is number one for me for sure. Clock Tower is pretty much like number two. Our next video game is Resident Evil. It's about this group of these tactical unit members called Stars, which is like Special Tactics and Rescue Squad. They go into this, I want to say they get like a call for something. They get shot out of the sky. They run into a mansion because they get chased by dogs or something. And then they're pretty much like low on ammo and everything. So they pretty much explore this whole mansion and they discover like a virus that outbreaks that has affected all the researchers and members of this mansion. And the reason why it's on here was because, like, this is when survival horror first kind of spawned. Everyone says it's alone in the dark. It is. Um, but I think Resident Evil just kind of pushed them more forward. So Resident Evil is more about, like, trying to survive with the limited resources you have. It basically triggers that fight or flight instinct, you know? Because, like, compared to, like, Clock Tower, Clock Tower, it's instant flight, you know? You're constantly running because it's all you got to do. But in Resident Evil, it's fight or flight, you know? You're not sure if, like, do you want to waste your precious resources to, to, to stop this entity or are you just going to book it, you know? And so, like, you, you're torn between those decisions. And I think that's what good fear does. It's when it triggers that instinct and you're not sure what, what, you're, what you want to do, you know? I know Jonathan hasn't played too much Resident Evil, but mm -hmm. um, the rest of the franchise just kind of continues on. But my favorite is still Resident Evil 2. I know there's a remake. I like the remake too, but um, I, I, like, I definitely like the original, uh, the original Resident Evil 2. That one stood more for me in terms of, like, nostalgia and childhood. I was just way too scared to play it. I always had to add, like, infinite ammo. I always had to, che I always had to cheat. Because uh, when we would go over to, like, um, to our cousin's place before school, you know, and I that would pop in Resident Evil 2, I would just put in the cheat code for infinite ammo, you know? That would make me okay to play it, you Because know? <laughs> then I'd just, like, shooting the zombies at that point. Yeah. But, yeah, otherwise, I was just way too terrified to play this game as a kid. Yeah, I'm just not a huge fan of shooter video games in general, even if it's mm -hmm. third person. And so I just never yeah. really got into it. And then our final game we're going to talk about is Until Dawn. Mm, good one. So, yeah. So this one was a complete, like, sleeper hit. No one knew it was going to be popular. No one knew it was going to be big. And even I didn't know about it until a friend of mine just uh, just talked about, like, you know, potential horror adventure games that were coming out. And then he mentioned Until Dawn. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. Checked it out. Fell in love with it. Everyone who watched me play it wanted me to keep playing it. <laughs> It's essentially like a movie, you know. Mm -hmm. You're essentially playing a movie. That's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, it's like um, Bandersnatch from Netflix, if you guys are Black Mirror, I should say. If you guys um, had heard about Bandersnatch and the interactive TV episode, that's what it feels like. So Until Dawn is about this group of teenagers who, for winter break, they go up to the cabins in like this wood for like a week, and they just basically go there and have fun. But as they're doing that, a lot of strange things start happening. Like, a lot of the characters start having conflicts. And then a lot of the characters start experiencing paranormal things and such. And all things... All hell breaks loose. <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically all hell yeah. breaks loose. And it makes the characters kind of confront what they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but also kind of unravels the mystery of like what happens to all the characters too. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, in this game, you you control the fate of all the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if a character dies, they not they may not necessarily die if you if you chose a different path or if you made a different choice. And all the choices you make in this game reflect upon later. Mm-hmm. Like so, I think there's one where you can throw a snowball at a bird or like at a crow or something. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, you know, if you know a thing about crows, crows remember. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then, so, there's another scene where you go hide, you're hiding from, like, a serial killer, and then um, you're hiding in an elevator. But then the thing is, there there are crows, in, um, like, on top of this elevator. If you threw a snowball at the, you know, at the crows, those crows are going to attack you, which will reveal your location. And so, see, there's this, like, weird, like, like the way your choices affect the rest of your game, like, plays a really big impact on this mm-hmm. game. And you can keep replaying this game over and over again, so you can see the different, the many different ways the story can unfold, or or the many different ways your characters can die. Right. So, and and mm-hmm. it, the thing that's cool about Until Dawn is that it, it leads you to a, a whole separate ending. It's it's not like oh, if you choose the wrong choice, and we're just gonna put you back, you know, like to yeah. where you made the wrong choice, so you choose the other choice. And I felt like that's where Bandersnatch kind of you know went wrong. Um, it felt like if you chose the wrong choice, you had to go back and choose the other one. Like, there was no other choice for you. So it still yeah. felt very linear. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. Until Dawn, it feels like there are actually all of these different endings, and um, and you can arrive at them in any sort of way. And and your story could look completely different compared to someone else's. Yeah. You know what's really funny? I heard that was the theme of Bandersnatch. What was? That you never really had a choice to begin with. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I was like so mad. Anyway, I'm like, why would you advertise it as that? <laughs> yeah, let's just let's not go there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Until Dawn is also like it's one of those games where you can actually watch. You can watch people do it, but you can. But also, it's a yeah, it's a spectator game. Other people can watch you play it, and they'll be like just as invested in it right. as you are. Right. Because it's very cinematic. Mm-hmm. They use their motion capture technology is very very um, very well done. And they use a lot of um, celebrities. Well, yeah, well-known celebrities, Hayden Panettiere, mm-hmm. Rami Malek, um, and some other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know the other people. <laughs> but yeah, off top, those of are the two those big are ones. Two, those are the two big ones that stood out to me for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's pretty much it for video games. So video games is a very very special type of medium that. I personally enjoy it's my childhood. I've been growing up with it. And I'm right. really curious to kind of see where a lot of them are going to go. Another favorite of mine are the Silent Hill series. Because mm-hmm. that one is definitely a lot more character-driven than all the other games. Because mm. I think a lot of games are more for, like, you know, unraveling the mystery, trying to solve what's going on, playing detective. But Silent Hill is more like, you know, characters confronting their own past and trauma mm. and grieving with mm. it. So. All right, so next are uh, we're gonna talk about some books here now, particularly the Ravenscliff series. See now, Jonathan mentioned this to me, and I remember the name, and then I looked up the first title in this book series, and I'm like, okay, I remember the title, and I think I remember reading it, but I don't remember this book at all. It's like completely gone from my memory. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, the reason why I chose this book is it's not it's not because it's phenomenal and you need to read it or whatever, but this is. Something that I grew up uh, grew up uh, with as a kid. I think I was in high school at the time that I was reading this book. It's about this 15-year-old kid who has always just kind of had monsters in his closet. 
And, like, his dad has always just kind of been the one to, like, defeat the monsters in his closet for him. But then I think his dad dies or or something happens. And then he is forced to go and live somewhere with, um, with like, a distant aunt or something like that. And so he goes there. And then he realizes that he's actually, like, a chosen sorcerer to, to like, combat, like, the forces of hell, essentially. And so, yeah, it's, it's just this really... Um, sort of interesting story, um, but then it retains its it retains the horror aspect to it. So you know, in the first mm-hmm. one, he he like faces like like a killer demon clown, you know, and in the second mm-hmm. book, he faces uh, a demon witch, you know. Um, oh, so you've read you've read them all? Um, sadly, the uh, the series was discontinued. Um, and so I think only three books came out and I Uh only read the first two. I haven't read the third one, but I do want to go back and read all three of them. Um, and Mm -hmm. yeah, just go to library or something. Pretty sure they'll have it. Maybe. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll check it out. I mean, it's also very cheap on Amazon. It's like $2. Um, so I can definitely just get it from Amazon. But yeah, the reason why I actually also want to share about this book is because as a kid, like I loved this book and not only did it have like themes of horror but also it had like a redemption arc for the character right because the character is literally fighting against these monsters and demons and he's like overcoming them and he's a kid you know like that's that's just kind of the the story of uh or kind of like the the main theme of of young adult books is this idea that kids are um, like young people are overcoming you know like these huge huge obstacles in their life you know and, and as a as yeah. a as a high schooler it kind of gave me also the courage to to fight for the things that i believed in and, and to fight for good and stuff like that um and it inspired me you know and so um when i was reading this book the the cover the the, the book covers of, of these books are quite scary and so if you google like ravenscliff series or if you google sorcerer the, the nightwing or demon witch you can look at the original book covers and they're they're pretty scary. And so I was reading, I was in the middle of reading Demon Witch um, when my sister, Jessica, who uh, most of you know, because she's on the podcast with us too, um, she had a, um, she had a, a scary experience with sleep paralysis um, one, one night and like something, essentially she was experiencing sleep paralysis and like the moment that that had happened like something like a picture frame had also fallen off her wall and so she was just really scared um and she was just kind of like spiritually spooked you know and my mom saw me reading demon witch and my mom was like why are you reading this this is the reason why your sister is you know like experiencing like all these spiritual stuff you know all this spiritual negative stuff and then i got really mad i actually remember like crying really really hard because I bought that book with like the allowance money that my mom gave me. And like, she literally took it and threw it in the trash can and like, she wouldn't let me go get it. And I remember just crying and just being super duper, like sad that like, I didn't have the book and I was like in the middle of reading it. And, um, like I, I, I didn't, couldn't finish it because I didn't have it anymore. And then, so I actually emailed the author of this book. The author is Jeffrey Hunt- Huntington, but I think that that's actually a, a pen name that he goes under. I don't know what his real name is, but I emailed him and I told him what my situation was. And he actually emailed me back and 
like encouraged me a little bit about like it's just for for me to just remember that like yes even though it is a horror story that there are elements in it that like help us to overcome like the horrors in our lives and stuff you know mm, okay. um and so it's very encouraging to hear back from him that you know that he understood you know and still was very much like i appreciate your support and all that stuff and it was just really good and so i had a good experience with it and i still think to this day it's a it's a book that still kind of haunts me in 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 not a bad way you know but you know it has like a a, a, a space in my heart yeah. because of the experience that i have with it and so i definitely want to go back and read it again um and it's a young adult book and so um super easy read and a lot of fun you know um, who doesn't like to be a chosen sorcerer in a, in a line of, you know, uh, sorcerers and stuff like that to overcome mm-hmm. hell, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's just really cool. So yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about Lovecraft? Sure. So HP Lovecraft was a pretty well-known pioneer of horror storytelling. I think he first released his, uh, short stories in like a, uh, a weird fiction kind of subgenre. But then he started to kind of craft his own sort of story and lore and this kind of sense of horror and fear of things that we just won't ever understand. And he kind of plays on that a lot with his short stories. And I never really got into Lovecraft until I, st- until I started playing uh, the board games that were based off of the Arkham Horror series. Uh, so a lot of like um, Arkham Horror, the board game, Mansions of Madness, that sort of thing. And that whole world and that that world building and setting got me really intrigued, you know, because I've always been like a fan of like the 1920s. I don't know why. That's when I started getting more into the books. I believe I have the collection on like my Amazon Kindle or something. But then I also started reading recently reading the uh, like the short novellas that a lot of the the authors write now. Uh, they write they write for the Arkham Horror series um, for the the board game company now. But yeah, I just always was always intrigued by, you know, the the elder gods, uh, the things that you have to fight for, how the things you can't overcome, you can't overcome these kind of horrors or things by, you know, uh, by by our own sets of rules, by by their sets of rules, that sort of things, mm-hmm. and how this can just make you go crazy, you know, the fear, like the, like a lot of it is sort of like it's so hard to describe, they can't describe it, like that that's the kind of fear that that they kind of emit. Yeah, Jonathan, I don't know if you're familiar with, you're not too familiar with Lovecraft stuff, are you? No, I'm not. Um, And again, I'm only familiar with it because of its popularity to be used as like a source material for board games and and other stuff. And that's because actually, um, I don't know, did you mention that Lovecraft is like public domain? No, yeah. I did not. So anything having to do with Lovecraft um, and his kind of lore and his world is actually public domain. And so uh, people can go ahead and use it uh, for any sort of thing. I don't know if public domain is the right terminology, but essentially, I, I think it is. Yeah, essentially it you is. can take his lore and his story stories and you can use it for like a board game or for, or for a video game or something. And you don't have to pay um, copyright for it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why it's really popular. Um, Cause it's this, it's this very, very like robust um, world that's already been built. And so a lot of people like to take that and, um, and just kind of, you know, tell their own stories with it. Um, and I think that that's why it's so popular. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and there, there's a lot to tell with it. You can just keep spawning franchises and media off from it for like ages. Um, there's just so much to it. 
uh, which is what I really liked about the the Arkham series. But yeah, so I remember like uh, in the board game that we play, there's the idea of like the more you confront these things, the you might get like a phobia or something. <laughs> I didn't real. I never really thought of that until I actually, you know, until I watched Raw and I've had some other experiences too. So um, I didn't realize it was possible. And then like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess it is possible now. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> our last set we're going to talk about are like escape rooms and like interactive entertainment. Mm -hmm. So the only escape room I've done that was kind of horror themed was um, we we did this one called. It was an escape room in Sacramento, and it's it had to do with, like, this witch. Basically, you're in this witch house. So you're trying to find, like, some girl or something, but she gets captured by, like, a witch. And uh, we basically have to look around her house without waking up the witch. <laughs> so, and when you first open, uh, if you're not familiar with escape rooms, escape rooms are basically you go into a room with a bunch of friends, and you try to uh, solve all the puzzles and clues within, like, an hour. And so, uh, <laughs> when you, when we first went into the room, uh, there's like a door. It's like a like it's like a cellar, like underneath like a stairway where the witch sleeps. And when you first walk in, it starts banging and moving. <laughs> oh, like, my oh, my oh my gosh! Oh my god! Don't wake up the witch, guys! <laughs> and then uh, later later in the room, you get to actually unlock another door that leads to where that cellar is. And when you unlock it, you see the witch sleeping. You're like, oh my god, it's so creepy. <laughs> is this just a like, mannequin? Yeah, it's just a oh, mannequin, okay. but it's so creepy. But like, <laughs> I remember I remember every time, like, we, because, like, the thing is, not everyone went into that room, yeah. right? And, like, underneath that cellar, not everyone had to go through it. But everyone who went through it would always say, whoa, <laughs> would, would always gasp, or would always have some kind of reaction, you know? They're like, whoa. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um,. But yeah, Jonathan, have you done any horror escape rooms? I I don't think I've done any horror themed escape rooms. There's one that was kind of like 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 a thriller ish, but it wasn't mm -hmm. very horror themed. But no, I don't think I've done any horror themed escape rooms. Um, okay. Yeah, but then I, I I I do like in in this kind of realm of like escape rooms and interactive entertainment. You know, is also like Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. and it's it's not as involved i guess as an escape room because you're not you know physically moving. yeah physically yeah. moving or, or taking a lock in your hand and, and doing it or at least mm -hmm. some D D, some dungeons and dragons sessions um like will do that but not a lot of them do but then it's this idea that like you get to interact with the story and and you get mm -hmm. to change the story in, in in a way that could make it different than someone else's experience with the story, and there's a yeah. there's a um there's a thing going on in Los Angeles right now, and so for those of you who live in California, and you want to be uh, you want to do something kind of like interactive and entertainment related, there's this thing called House of Creep that's happening right now, um, put on by I think a production company called Just Fix It Productions, um, and it's it's essentially a haunted house, but it has a cast of over twenty characters that like essentially are in the haunted house. And these are actors, like real actors who literally sit there and interact with you in the haunted house. And it's supposed to be really, really cool and really, really fun. And so I'm really sad that I don't live in LA because I can't go and, uh, you know, go and experience this. But if you do, or you live in California, you live close by, like definitely, you know, consider going to check it out especially during this Halloween season. I think it's going to be worth your time. 
But yeah, I think that there's other also other stuff like that too, like haunted houses and stuff like that. Or even like the seasonal stuff that they do at amusement parks, like Fright Fest or mm-hmm. like Six Flags mm-hmm. or like Disneyland has has some horror stuff too going yeah. on. But yeah, definitely like it's it's that time of the season, so definitely go spook yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely go check out House of Creep if you are um it's H A U S House of Creep. Yeah, go check that out. And by the time this episode airs, you have one day. <laughs> you have one day. So do it now. Yeah. Yeah, you literally have that weekend. <laughs> yeah, to go and do it. Yeah. Sorry that this isn't coming out earlier. Yeah. All right, so that wraps us up for this episode of The Outside Story. If you have any questions about any of the things that we talked about, we're going to try to link to as much stuff as we can about the stuff that we talked about in this episode in our description. And so take a look at our description information and we can, we'll probably t- do our best to, to put out all the stuff we talked about, including like the woman in black Magnus archives link to links to all that stuff. If you want to check it out, tune in tomorrow for our final episode of the October Halloween special. We're just going to wrap up our thoughts on on Halloween, on horror, on all this stuff. So yeah, come in, talk with us tomorrow. We'd love for you to sit with us as we think through this month and the craziness that was this podcast special. Thank you all mm-hmm. for listening. Bye. Bye.